Hi, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Packers Unscripted from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford, joined by my trusted colleague, Weston Hodkowitz. We're coming to you here from our studios at Lambeau Field to talk Packers Dolphins, Wes. It will be a Christmas Day, noon central time kickoff from Hard Rock Stadium in South Florida. We all know what the implications are for the Packers. The Packers have to keep winning and do some scoreboard watching on Saturday on the flight down to Miami, and we'll talk about those the games that impact that a little bit later in the show. But you look at this Dolphins team in 2022, and it has been a team of streaks. They began the season with three straight wins, then they lost three straight games, then they won five in a row. Now they head into this Christmas matchup with a three-game losing streak. Not to say that they're necessarily playing poorly in this three-game losing streak, but it was a three-game road gauntlet at San Francisco, at the L.A. Chargers, at Buffalo. They came up short all three times. And that now, with the Dolphins going from 8-3 and three to 8-6, and six, they're fighting for their playoff lives in the AFC. Very interesting situation the Dolphins find themselves in because after this game against Green Bay, they are traveling to the New, New England Patriots, and then they finish up the season versus hosting the Jets. So as much as we're talking about the Packers and their run here towards the end of the season, the Dolphins have very similar uh, implications with this whole run. The, the part of it that is the most fascinating to me, though, is, and, and we've talked about it a couple times throughout the week in the coverage with Matt LaFleur and some of the players, this is a different team at Hard Rock Stadium. Uh, they're 5-1 and one on the season, and that only loss was the game in which they did not have Tua yeah. available to them. So the, the, the explosivity of this offense, uh, a running game that Green Bay is very familiar with, with Raheem Mostert, and by all indications it sounds like Jeff Wilson will be back this week. Tyreek Hill is one of the most dynamic receivers in this league, and Jalen Waddell is a real nice up-and-comer for them. I was 150% wrong, Mike, um, and I am not ashamed to say it. I, I, was, I had some real questions when they acquired Hill about whether or not this offense, a new head coach, Tua, they were going to be able to keep him happy and also make sure that Jalen Waddell gets his touches. Mike Gusecki hasn't really been the same type of receiving threat he's been, so it's not like everybody's flourishing, but for both of those two receivers to be the only two in the NFL right now with 1,000 yards – This is a stiff test for Green Bay going down into South Beach. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger. For the ones who get it done. Well, and what's impressive about the numbers that Hill and Waddle have put up, and credit to Mike McDaniel, the yeah. first-year head coach of the Dolphins, because you said it, there were a lot of questions as to how they were going to make this work offensively. And as Matt LaFleur has told us this week, having worked with Mike McDaniel um, as an assistant coach at, at uh, you know previous stops in, uh, in LaFleur's NFL career, Hill and Waddle, they aren't just over 1,000 yards. I mean, Tyreek Hill is over 1,500 yards with three games left to go in the regular season, and he's already over 100 receptions with three games left to go. Jalen Waddle, this is the amazing thing. He's over 1,100 yards receiving and and on just 62 receptions. The guy's averaging 18 yards per catch. 
in this day and age of of the you know the quick game, the bubble screens, and this and that, for a wide receiver in the current NFL, the way passing games are designed to be averaging 18 yards a catch for an entire season is phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, you just don't see that. That's a you know that, that's sort of in the the James Lofton category yeah. from back in the in the 1980s when he was in his heyday. So, and obviously, then you know you mentioned Mostert who hasn't had a huge workload necessarily for the Dolphins, but lo and behold, the guy is averaging 4.9 yards per carry. Yeah. He's still uh, he's still lighting it up as well. And then Gesicki doesn't have the big numbers, but he's got four touchdowns this year, despite everything that uh, that Hill and Waddle are doing in the passing game. So this is a and you know I've been I've been saying this all week long. And this is no disrespect to the Philadelphia Eagles. This is no disrespect to the Dallas Cowboys other teams the Packers have played this year. I think this is the the biggest challenge the Packers are going to face defensively all season long. These guys these guys are dangerous, they're explosive, they can score from anywhere on the field. And somebody has to explain to me how Tua Tagovailoa as the leading fan vote getter in the Pro Bowl and with the number one passer rating in the league at 107.8, somehow is not on the AFC roster for the Pro Bowl games. Somebody has to explain to yeah. me how that has happened. But whatever <clears throat> chip he may or may not be carrying on his shoulder with regard to that snub heading into this week, Tua, especially having come back from uh, from a couple of uh, uh, scary moments with the head injuries, Tua is having a whale of a season. It was the thing I was writing our story on Aaron Rodgers and his media scrum on Wednesday and I had asked him about Tagovailoa and it was interesting in that I was going to go in there and I was just going to take for granted that he'd been in the Pro Bowl as I was getting ready to to basically preface yeah. him in my story. The guy's leading the league in passer rating. How is the number one passer rating quarterback in the league like not on a Pro Bowl roster? There's a lot of players and coaches out there that must not have felt very strongly about it. But My goodness. Whatever the case may be, I mean, you listen to him talk, the way he carries himself. He was like that at Alabama. He's been like that in Miami. And, and here's the most exciting thing if you're a Dolphins fan. I, I think Mike McDaniel, the best compliment I can pay him is he, he basically – replicated the blueprint that San Francisco used, and he did it in year one. Um, a good offensive line, Taron Armstead. You know, as much as we talk about David Bakhtiari in the 13 draft, Taron Armstead was just as good of a pick one round earlier uh, for the New Orleans Saints. Yeah. He comes to Miami. He now makes a Pro Bowl in his first year there. That, that running offense with Mostert and now Wilson after the acquisition, you know, Alec Ingold was coming off an ACL injury. I don't know what happened. Well, there's a lot of things that happened, but with the Raiders non-tendering all these guys, Ingold got non-tenured, Nixon got non-tendered, Keyshawn Nixon, and and Ingold has been you know one of the better fullbacks in this league and is playing kind of that Kyle Uschick role for this offense, where yeah. he's not going to show up a lot on a stat sheet, but he's going to be a part of this game plan. Uh, and then having the two receivers that they have, I love the way that those pieces have fit together for Miami now. The one thing about this, as you said, is it's been a streaky team. They've had off weeks. They've had on weeks. But their strength of schedule and their strength of victory have been pretty impressive. And as as much as you can point to that three-game losing streak, they took care of business against Houston and Cleveland before that. And those aren't necessarily teams that a lot of, you know, clubs have had success, you know, beating them by two scores this season. Yeah, absolutely. And and give the Dolphins credit, too. I think we mentioned this on our last show, how they – they went into Buffalo in 
Buffalo weather in prime yep. time last no weekend with, you know, the cold, the snow started flying in the second half and all that kind of stuff. And they were they were right there against the Buffalo Bills with with a lead in the yes. fourth quarter, um, end up losing on a uh, on a walk off field goal to a Buffalo Bills team that is uh, looking to wrap up the number one seat, number one playoff seat in the AFC. So defensively, though, here for the Dolphins, there are certainly guys to watch out for. They acquired Bradley Chubb to help out with uh, with the pass rush. I believe Melvin Ingram is another one of their pass yep. rushers, a guy who's hopped around to some different teams, but he's he remains productive. But the bottom line, Wes, this Dolphins defense is 23rd in the league in yards allowed, tied for 26th in the league in points allowed. It's a defense that can be had. It's a defense that uh, that has given up its share. And with the way the with the way the Packers offense has turned a corner here the last month in terms of getting healthier at the perimeter positions, the you know rookies, more, the rookie receivers in particular, and then Zach Tom at left tackle coming along. And uh, and making this making this unit more productive and a unit that would have scored 30 plus again on yeah. Monday night had it not been for you know taking a knee on the one yard line there in the last two minutes. Packers offense, you're moving out of the cold now. It's going to be 50 something degrees or whatever down in Miami. Um, certainly, it'll be a fast track for the Dolphins, but the Packers have to take advantage of of these. Um, you know, ideal conditions, so to speak, for Green Bay's offense, and uh, and and have a big time game because it's it's going to be difficult to stop these Miami Dolphins from scoring. Yeah, it will be. Uh, the the most fascinating part about the Dolphins, though, as you touched on the defense, I don't mean to be disrespectful when I say this, but it's a very meat and potatoes unit. Uh, it is a unit that has not taken the ball away much this year. I mean. Xavier Howard, the number one positive thing you can say out of him, much like, you know, Jair Alexander here, he is a traditional shutdown Darrell Revis type cornerback. Teams just don't want to throw at him. Yeah. And, you know, he only has one pick on the season. The Dolphins as a team only have seven interceptions on the year, despite as impressive as they've been. Uh, I think they're minus two in the turnover margin this year. You know, end up credit largely goes to Tua on that. There haven't been a lot of giveaways. You know, three of their, what do they have, 15, yeah, 15 giveaways this year. Three of those came from Teddy Bridgewater in in his appearances. So it's been an offense and a defense that have played together, but necessarily defensively haven't been, you know, an, an awe-inspiring unit. Also a statistic that Larry McCarron brought up to me when we were doing our three things video yesterday that I was not aware of is the fact that the Dolphins are right near the bottom of the league in kickoff uh, return yardage allowed in terms of you know average so there's a potential opportunity there for Keyshawn Nixon as well the whole point and I'm trying to draw with this is the Dolphins are a very good football team they are dynamic they can shut teams down they can win in multiple ways and they're very creative with Mike McDaniel at the helm but it is not an insurmountable hill to climb and I think that's why as the week has sort of progressed and the Packers have been healthier you know the tide has slowly turned a little bit back into, I think, maybe the Packers getting more of an opportunity and, and seen as having a shot in this game. 
But it ultimately, Mike, I think it ultimately does come down to the amount of explosive plays that the Dolphins generate offensively and how many of those are running through Hill and Waddle. Yeah, absolutely. I want to get to uh, uh, some keys to victory and go into more detail on that in a minute. But first, some sponsor business. Sirius XM NFL Radio delivers hard-hitting analysis and up-to-the-minute NFL news that true football fanatics need 24-7, 365. And at Cousin Subs, we have something for everyone, like our Wisconsin cheese curds, mac and cheese, golden fries, and creamy shakes, all paired with your favorite sub or sub in a bowl, Cousin Subs, 50 years of better. All right, well, you you hinted at it already as far as a key to victory here, and I do think it, it absolutely comes down to limiting the explosive plays that this Miami offense is going to generate. And I think not the only factor, but one of the key factors in limiting explosive plays for this Packers defense is going to be tackling. Yeah, You're not necessarily going to be able to prevent Jalen Waddell and Tyree Kill from getting the football. Mike McDaniel is, is creative enough, savvy enough. He's going to find a way to get his guys the ball one way or another. But we saw what happened in Philadelphia when the Packers didn't tackle well. They had 20-plus missed tackles in that, that primetime game out in Philly. And play, you know, plays that were you know, four, five, six, seven-yard plays were rupturing into 20- and 25-yard yes. gains for Jalen Hurts and company there. The real danger with these guys is missed tackles can turn a five-yard play into a touchdown from anywhere on the field because as soon as they get loose – and they get up to top speed, it's almost impossible to catch them. So the tackling, I think, is, is, going to, is going to be key. The Packers certainly have tackled much better since the Philadelphia game, which was the big <clears throat> letdown in that category, and it needs to continue and perhaps reach you know, its peak level against weapons like this. Yeah, and, it, and it is, it's an interesting mix with what Miami brings to the table because – as dynamic as those two receivers are, and that's what the offense largely runs through, uh, you know, both Wilson, since he jumped on board in Miami, and Mostert have had their moments too as runners. Uh, Wilson, a couple weeks ago, was the lead back at over 100 yards. Last week, Mostert had hit his best game of the season when Wilson was out with the hip injury. Yeah, they, they relied on him in that, in that cold in Buffalo, and he delivered for him. And Mike, with, if there was uh, ever, you, you bring up the point of, of the tackling issue, if there was ever a player that the Green Bay Packers are going to face that it reminds you that how much you need to be disciplined, how much you need to put a hat on a hat, it is Raheem Mostert, I mean, <laughs> who had you know the biggest game of his career against Green Bay several years ago. The thing that kind of put him on the map. Yeah. Uh, after he's not just a guy in that Kyle Shanahan offense. This is a legitimate number one type back. So. Packers can't take any of this for granted. What I'm most fascinated to see, and you can call it a key to victory, you can call it a, a three thing, whatever you want, is the decisions the Packers are going to have to make in this game on how they defend Miami, mm -hmm. how much resources are spent to the two you know, you know, receivers. Jair Alexander can obviously shadow somebody if you need him to. You, you know, can mix up the zone coverages. That's all going to be up to Joe Barry and, and Jerry Gray and how they want to approach it. But you can't be so overcommitted to that that it then leaves you light in the box against that running game. They can hurt you either ways. There's going to be some eye candy that, that McDaniel's offense is going to throw at them. That ultimately, I think when you look at keys to victory, when you look at how do the Packers win this game, defensively, it starts there. Yeah, it, it will be interesting to see how the Packers go about defending things because I still think as, as, as great a season as Tua has had, 
he's still he's still a young quarterback, and generally the approach against young quarterbacks is to is to constantly be mixing up mixing up coverages. You don't want to get into certain patterns. Yeah. You and 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 in the process of mixing up coverages, you don't want to always be playing you know the same thing on third and six. You yep. know you don't you don't want to get into into those kind of patterns that uh, that he can decipher. That being said. Lots of teams have tried lots of things against this offense, and and uh, and and Tua has has sliced and diced a lot of uh, a lot of defenses on the offensive side of the ball. I think it just it just comes down to efficiency because the Packers are going to need to put up a good number of points, I believe, in order to win this game. But by the same token, you don't necessarily want it to become a shootout. Um, so. It comes down. It comes down to being efficient offensively, where you're getting the points you need to make, but potentially shortening the game yes. at the same time. You you had talked on our last show about over the last couple of games how the Packers have had numerous scoring drives of ten plus, eleven plus yeah. plays. Those are the kinds of drives the Packers need to continue. They need they need to finish them and and punch them all into the end zone or as many of them as they can. <clears throat> But those are the kinds of drives that the Packers need because if you get into you get into a game, you get into a game with the Dolphins where you're upwards of you know 14, 15, 16 possessions over the course of four quarters against these guys, they're going to be really, really hard to keep up with. But if you if you have some longer drives, limit the number of possessions, shorten the game in that sense a little bit, then uh, um, you know then I like the Packers' chances to to hang around and give themselves a shot. That's probably why I fell so much in love with that performance against the Rams. It wasn't about the opponent. It wasn't about the fact the Packers need to win that game. It was that that finally felt like Matt Lafleur football again. The the Rams only ran forty five offensive plays. Yeah. Uh, you know, and the Packers have been on the other side of that a absolutely. couple of times, where you're 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 looking at the offensive film and you're going, we only we only ran 50 plays. Well, no wonder this guy only had this many touches and this guy only had this many because we didn't run enough plays. Yeah, and 37 minutes over 37 minutes in terms of their time of possession to run out the clock, it, it was quintessential Packers football. This matchup, I look at. Well, first off, getting A.J. Dillon back is a huge sigh of relief um, because it sounds like even you know Aaron Jones is dealing with some stuff right now with the knee, so at least to have both of those guys available so it doesn't have to fall on one specific guy, you tip your cap to Patrick Taylor the way he finished that game for Green Bay. But the way that you know A.J.'s been running the ball, specifically in the red zone these last few weeks, these last few games, uh, has been very encouraging. But I, I look towards the Christian Watson thing. I, I look towards Alan Lazard. I look towards this this sort of – you know, weaponry that Green Bay has built throughout the course of the season to, to come up big in this thing. Watson changes the way defenses attack this offense. Yeah. And there's a multitude of ways to use them. And I know there's some some film buffs out there that were already putting out film talking from the last game of here were opportunities where Watson could have been even more involved if he would have been the the, the primary target, if he would have been the hot read on things. That That's the exciting thing to me and in, in how they want to use things, you know, the ultimate credit to this young man is how much Jalen Ramsey was covering him, you know, last week. I mean, teams have taken notice and offensively for the Packers, I think with Aaron Rodgers feeling a little bit better, this is feeling like the Green Bay Packers offensive old again. They're still trying to get back to that 30 point threshold. Aaron Jones had kind of a smirk on his face after the game when talking about being that close to it. Yeah. But you know, they're right there. So that if you know, you do have some offensive success on Miami's side. Green Bay could potentially be able to match that firepower. Yeah, you mentioned that matchup with Ramsey against Watson on Monday night against the Rams. So I'm curious what you think. Do the do the Dolphins put 
Howard on Watson and See, and 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 let that let that go one. I mean, there are different ways you can do this, right? Because yeah. because some teams take the approach of, yep, we're putting our number one guy on their number one guy. Other teams take the approach when you're talking about man coverage, essentially. Right. Zone is a whole different idea. But other teams take the approach of, you know, no, we're going to put our number two guy on the number one guy and have the safety help over the top most of right. the time and then put our number one guy on their number two guy and ask him to cover that guy without any help at all and be the shutdown guy on the other side of the field. So there are different ways to go about it, and I'm curious to see with, with a an all-pro talent like Xavier Howard and an emerging star in Christian Watson – how the uh, uh, how the Miami Dolphins go about this? Yeah, I am too. Because the thing about Howard is he's been one of the best corners in this league for the last three years. Yeah. but he's also probably one of the league's best kept secrets. You don't hear a lot of love uh, for him when you're talking about you know guys like Jair and guys like Jalen Ramsey who are a little bit more boisterous, yeah. right? In terms of the national scene. So to be honest with you, I really don't know how you know traditionally week to week Miami lines him up but but that's a decision they're going to have to make and, and how they want to go about attacking this thing it's not the deepest secondary in the league so maybe potentially you you see that kind of versatility there and maybe he's he's tracking around some guys but you know all that being said I I really think this comes back to the Packers being in the Packers and you know last week the mix of the run and the pass and the 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 consistency of it um Two back-to-back games, Mike, where they've had three scoring drives of 11 or more plays, that that speaks to the efficiency of the offense, that speaks to the ability to protect the football, and it speaks to you know just being able to have success again. And I, I think that can be demoralizing for a defense. And offensively, I think it can remind Green Bay once again, as Aaron Rodgers talked about in his locker on Wednesday, you know, when you're not having success, when you're not winning – you sometimes forget what that feels like a little bit, and yeah. Green Bay now has a little bit of that momentum on their side. Yeah, we hear all the time explosive plays often lead to points, right? Yeah. Well, when you can still <laughs> score points in this league without necessarily getting a bunch of explosive plays, it speaks to it speaks to the execution, it speaks 100%. to the sharpness of everything that you're doing on offense. So whether the Packers can hit can hit the big plays or not, Limiting the Dolphins in that regard, I think, is a key to this game, and uh, and whatever it takes, uh, whatever it takes on offense to uh, to continue doing what they're doing. I want to get your thoughts before we go on a very interesting weekend. Um, can can I can I edit that a little bit? Yeah, a very interesting Saturday. Yeah, yeah, true. <laughs> like, that's what I love about the way the NFL set this up. We got the Christmas Day games, right? If you if you ranked all the games, Packers is by far the most compelling one against the Dolphins. Oh yeah, a lot a lot of a lot of people will be tuned into Packers Dolphins, and then the other the other two on Christmas uh, late afternoon and evening will just kind of be like on the TV in the background. Yeah. I'm not sure how closely people are going to be paying attention. Yeah, Tampa Bay and Arizona they might be getting a run for their money with "It's a Wonderful Life." I'm not sure, but <laughs> yeah. but hey, to your point though, it is a great slate of games this week and a lot of um, you know playoff implications. And I will let you lead me through the dance. For there. Well, the interesting thing f- from the Packers perspective, when you're looking at, you know, doing the scoreboard watching and the teams that uh, the teams that you want to get some help, you'd like to see certain teams lose Detroit, Seattle, the Giants and Washington. All of them are on the road, all of them with um, potentially difficult matchups. Detroit is at Carolina. Seattle is at Kansas City. The Giants are at Minnesota and Washington is at San Francisco. This lines up pretty well for potentially for the Packers to get the help they yeah. need and then to be heading to Hard Rock Stadium on Sunday morning going, you know, all right, we, you know, 
we really are in this thing if we can if we can get this victory and then be heading back to Green Bay knowing that there are you know two home games left with a chance to uh, to finish the regular season above 500. So Detroit, Seattle, Giants, Commanders. Uh, what are your thoughts on some of those games? First things first. When I was working on my story for today on Packers.com. I found that fascinating. When you look at New York Times, if the Packers win out, they have them at 64% making the playoffs. Uh, 538 actually has it all the way up to 70. So it is interesting. Just by controlling what they can control, Green Bay actually does have still what I would consider to be higher odds than I would have anticipated You know, even a week ago. Yeah. But all that being said, I love the matchup between Detroit and Carolina because Detroit is finally kind of getting a taste of its own medicine. The Panthers are one of these teams that, while they are technically still in the playoff hunt due to the, you know, just the atrocity of that division, right? The Panthers are a team that can play with anybody and lose to anybody. They'll, they'll play anybody tough the way that they've acted this season. The Minnesota Vikings, man, it's such a weird matchup because they're coming off a win, but I still feel like there's so much for them to prove. Uh, and, and if you do, if you lose a game like this to the Giants suddenly you're not feeling so great about where you're at heading yeah. into this final stretch because yeah. that's a team that you very easily could see in the playoffs and potentially lose to. The Commanders and, and 49ers, certainly that goes without saying that's a huge game, the biggest game uh, in terms of the Packers situation. But Philadelphia and Dallas yep. is that one was, I want to talk That was the next one I was going to bring up. Because, Absolutely. Mike, you and I have had this conversation about what do you do with Jalen Hurts? What do you do with these starters if it gets to week 18 and maybe it doesn't matter? Well, now he's dealing with the shoulder sprain. Yeah. So Gardner and it Minshew sounds was, like he's not playing. He's not. Gardner yeah. Minshew's starting that game. Yeah. Uh, Nick Sirianni uh, was talking about before we popped in here. So now it becomes a question of, okay, whatever happens in this game happens, obviously. But – if he ends up getting healthy here with the sprain, do you want him sitting a month before he plays a playoff game? Like, in a weird backdoor kind of way, if Green Bay makes a run here, maybe this ends up working out to their advantage because, yeah, Jalen Hurts not playing against a game against another playoff team. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. But as we know, the Philadelphia Eagles have one coming up down the pipe that, that will have implications for Green Bay. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the, uh, the Cowboys – if I'm not mistaken, the Cowboys have four losses. That is correct. Okay, so essentially, the uh, the Philadelphia Eagles can clinch the number one seed with one more victory. Correct. Is that right? So by the same by the same token, the Cowboy if the Cowboys beat if the Cowboys beat the Eagles on Sunday, I believe it's a late afternoon. I think that's the three twenty five central kickoff that's also correct then, you're, you're on a Cowboys, roll right now yeah and i see and i didn't even like write all this down before no. it came in here this show is truly unscripted folks we're very Trust prepared us. um so the cowboys looking to get within two games of that nfc east lead with two games to go there you know their chances of getting a division championship as opposed to a wild card which is which would be the difference between obviously a home game and and being the the five seed in the first round are are you know hinging on every week here and this Jalen Hurts shoulder injury you know kind of throws a wrench into where Philadelphia wanted to be I don't know did did you see the the tackle when the, yeah. the bear the Bears yeah. guy you know tackled him and and uh, his shoulder got driven into into the ground there and and you know it's the kind of thing that can happen to any quarterback at any time but you raise you raise a really interesting point because 
all the Eagles have to do is win one more game to clinch the number one seed. And Gardner Minshew, whether it's against the Cowboys or somebody else here in the last two weeks of the regular season, is certainly is certainly capable of doing that. But then what's the decision in terms of when to play Jalen Hurts? Yes. If you're going to get the one seed and then have the bye and not be playing in the postseason until the second weekend, um, it, it's it's going to be it's going to be very interesting to see. Well, the the decisions that are made and 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 how this plays out. For now, I think uh, from the Packers' perspective, you want the Cowboys to win that game. You want you want the Cowboys because they're going to be playing one of their NFC East rivals in Week 18. You want the Cowboys, the Washington Football Commanders. They're playing Washington. You want the Cowboys to have something to play for in Week 18 to potentially beat the Commanders if the Packers are, are on a run and trying to, trying to steal that seventh spot. That's the interesting thing in this equation is that we can talk right now about Philly, but if the Giants go into U.S. Bank Stadium, which has not been you know a place where the Vikings have just dominated everybody, if the Giants go in there and win and enough things go their way, they can clinch a wild card spot. Yeah, then they, they, so can, then they can clinch it. You don't even give a poo about what happens in week 18 with the Philly or the Giants or whatever. Right. The main thing then becomes Mike McCarthy becoming the Green Bay Packers' best friend again. <laughs> because then he, they have if, – if they beat Philly, then they face Tennessee, and then that last one is at Washington. Yeah. And, you know, Cooper Rush is a good little quarterback too. So it isn't necessarily the end of the world if he has to start that game, but how many of the complimentary pieces is a Micah Parsons playing in that game then? Then it kind of becomes a question. Yeah, absolutely. Those are kinds of, those are the kinds of things that I hope we're talking about because if the last two weeks of the regular season are going to be at a high level of interest for the Green Bay Packers, it starts with beating the Miami Dolphins on Christmas down in South Florida. So with that, we will call it a wrap on this edition of Packers Unscripted. Be sure to follow all of our coverage of the team and all of the coverage from Sunday's Christmas Day game in Miami. We will have it all for you on Packers.com. For Wes, I am Mike. Thank you for tuning in, everybody. Merry Christmas to everyone out there. We will see you next time.